This week on the Hot Mess Teacher Express, we are talking all about letting students fail and the discipline issues that we have in the United States and how they're handled in the UK. We are highlighting some amazing teachers in education, those case managers, so please stay tuned. Welcome to another episode of the Hot Mess Teacher Express. I am your conductor, loyal, true, here with you. Choo choo. Teacher Tales of Miss Smith, Jess Smith. Yeah. And, and oh, you're here too. Okay. And yeah, I'm here, unfortunately. <laughs> My name is Mr. Thomas English. Hashtag. Um, oh, wait a minute. Why am I hashtagging? My name is Mr. Thomas English, aka Mr. Thomas, aka Vinnie Thomas, aka sat right here right now. Yeah, you are. Yeah, stunning. you are. Stunning. Stunning. There was no energy in that delivery there whatsoever. Was not. Are you okay? I am. Um, okay. <laughs> Trying to go Disney after this. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> magic. The energy, the, it was the magic just like calling you too much. Yeah. It is. Okay. Let's start out today with a little bit of a hot take. This is where Vinny and I take something that might be controversial and, and might have some different opinions out there. Um, and we give our unfiltered, amazing opinions on it. take is letting students fail Hell, <laughs> have you done this before I, I feel like um i feel like we're gonna get two different perspectives yes, high school versus elementary so, yes. yeah because i imagine elementary is kind of like you need to get them through to the next grade yeah. like you know no matter what it takes there's a little <laughs> bit of wink wink nod nodding yeah. yeah versus in high school it's definitely you need to have x amount of credits to graduate and if you don't graduate you know you gotta retake stuff you gotta do like summer classes summer school um modules we had quite a lot where people would do like credit recovery and stuff okay um and then my district also had like a school that was like specifically designated as like basically the credit recovery school really where like if students were like not on track to graduate they would go to that intensive school where it would be like and it was like it was also i think like a behavioral school as well where if there were like students that like just weren't able to like succeed within the gen ed classes as well when they were behind on credits um they would also be sent there as well so it was usually like it was like a last resort you literally need 10 credits to graduate in (laughs) one year and there is no way you're getting that here so Yeah. yeah it was a very like so we had that in my district as well okay and yeah i feel like especially like when you first start teaching like to me, I'm like a student failing in my class feels like a representation of me as a teacher. Yeah, for and sure. And it's like, oh my gosh, they're failing because I suck and I haven't done my job. Yeah. And I feel like when I first went into it, that was the mentality I had. And I was like, I need to get every student passing. Like a student that's on an F or a D or whatever in my class is not acceptable. And that's a representation of me. Um, 
and I taught freshmen. So I was like, I, you know, these are students that are new to the school. They need additional support because they've never been in high school before. They're going yeah. to that next stage into like teenage years, adulthood, all of that stuff. Right. And yeah, I was very much like, I need to allow everyone to pass. And um, I remember in my first like semester, I think I had like one, maybe two students out of 150 foul oh my by the end of it. And I was still like in my head, like I've still got one or two, like, but that was me riding them every single day. Yeah. I would like literally keep a live track of their grades. And like during like lesson, if I'm circulating, doing anything, I would literally target those students that were failing and be like, right, you need to do this. Actually, don't worry about today's activity. Do this instead. You need to do this right here, right now with right. me. Come to my desk I'm gonna help you and I literally spoon fed them to the point of no return <laughs> I had not a free moment to myself I was stressed 24 7 but that's what it takes sometimes and to to get those students to not be failing to the point where I was like and then I I kind of got to this point where I was like I care more about this student's grade than they do yeah and that's an issue <laughs> right and at what point are you just like okay I'm I'm fighting a losing battle here because you're not gonna pass if you don't want to yeah and that's when I then spoke to like other teachers that taught the same grades and I would be there like oh my gosh right now I have five students that are failing like I'm trying all these things mm -hmm. all of these like you know modifications whatever I can do to try and get them to get the credit to pass yeah and then I speak to other freshman teachers and they're like you've only got five I've got 25 oh. and I'd be like white warm <laughs> And it would be like, wait, so actually I'm in the minority with having that little yeah. failures. And in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm a failure because I've got five that are failing. But then the veteran teacher next door that's been doing this for 10 plus years yeah. and I would assume knows more of what they're doing than I am has 25 students failing with the exact same set of students that I have. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, am I over-inserting myself and am I doing too right. much? And right. in doing so, am I letting right. my students down because I'm not giving them skills of how to succeed on their own because the moment they leave my classroom, they have another teacher next year and they're not going to spoon feed them in the same way that I am. Right. And I th are you setting your students up for failure for the next year? Yeah. I think that's kind of where where the crux of the issue. So you did not let students fail. So you did everything in your power. Originally I didn't. So I then, I kind of like adapted as I went through it where I would basically do it because I mainly taught the freshmen. Yeah. I would do it where each quarter I would basically wean them off. Yeah. <laughs> where it's like the first Aww. quarter... I would be on them and I'd be like, I'm checking in and I could kind of gauge from the students. Like, is this a student that, you know, is going to be able to do this with right. little to no support? Is this a student that I'm going to have to ride right. the entire year? Is this a student that I can literally spend hours of my day every day trying to get them to pass mm -hmm. and they just will not do the work? Yeah. And kind of like using that to like then help me within the next few quarters. Right. And then, yeah, I think it got to a point where I feel like it's that thing where as a teacher, especially a new teacher, you go into it and you're like, I want to be the teacher that makes a difference. I don't want any student failing. Yeah. I want everyone to flourish. And unfortunately, it's a sad truth, but you learn really quickly that that is not possible. That is not. Like you see these inspirational movies of teachers who take these classes that don't want to learn and refuse like enjoy failing their classes and they take them and somehow like passion is discovered and and magic everyone turns their life around it's that's yeah. not a real classroom it happens every now and again but 
it's not a real classroom. Yeah. And it's it's also just not realistic. It's like at the end of the day, it a hundred percent of people aren't necessarily going to be able to succeed in one thing. And so it's like when you apply Absolutely, that to a yeah. classroom and yeah. you're like, 100% of people need to be able to do all of this. In reality, 100% of people are not able to do everything all at once. There yeah. are certain things in everyday life yeah. where people are not naturally able to succeed at. And that's okay. And I think that's like an issue within like the system itself, yeah. especially when it comes to GPAs and the fact that if you tank one class, that can impact your whole GPA. Right. And I think that adds a lot more pressure. Right. And then it's also just the ongoing slew of like, I'm giving you a task and if it doesn't count for a grade, they don't do it. Yeah. And then if it does count for a grade, you're then constantly battling the grade book trying to get all these kids to pass. Right. So it's a constant battle of focusing on the grades and I feel like you get to a point as a teacher where you have to just accept that there are battles you're going to lose and one of the ones you're going to lose is making sure that everyone passes and it gets to a point where you have to put that on the student on the parent guardian and say I'm giving you these resources I'm checking in on you and I'm going to have to let you fail. Right. And in high school, I feel like it is a little bit more hands off mm-hmm. in the sense of of the teacher because you're just like at a certain point I can only do so much. I'm giving you all of these these supports and and I can't. Yeah. But like and there's incentives to do well in school like, you know, to you have to have the grades to play a sport. Yeah. And and how many of those like wink wink nod nods happen? <laughs> have you ever had a coach come to you and be like uh, hey, um, do you think you could? <laughs> or like do the whole... this guy's grade. You know we that, need it for Friday night. They asked if um, they could do a bit of extra credit. And yeah. I'm just like, they haven't even done the credit, let alone the extra. Yeah. In elementary, it's it's a little bit... Um, I don't know that I ever failed anybody. I had kids who didn't... Who, who just didn't grasp the concept... Yeah, and and it was that thing where like I did something wrong, and I need to like you are yeah. my responsibility to get to grade level, and then you had on kind of like the opposite side the kids who were exceeding and then maybe didn't get one part of if we're dividing fractions they didn't get this one concept and you had parents being like. <gasps> They're, they're failing. This is over. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not going to get a scholarship to Harvard. I'm like, this is third grade. Like, no, it's, we're good. We're still learning. We're, it's, there needs to be a learning process. And I think failure is important. Yeah. And I, whenever I had like my high flying students kind of feel that failure, it was always interesting because oftentimes that's the first time that they've failed at something. Yeah, and and I- that's so crushing for them Mm -hmm. but it's so important and i think that bleeds into the secondary aspect of it like in high school yeah because i remember having so many students that have had it where they had elementary middle school where you know they had their teachers that basically they just get pushed through the system where it's like you know like I know it was a whole thing of like no student left behind where it's like no matter what everyone progresses to the next grade level regardless of whether you've got the material or not and in doing so you know you you have it where you have students that are in the seventh grade reading at a second grade level and it's just expected oh well they'll 
Well, it is what it is. And yeah. it's like, yeah, but that's a disservice to them. Yeah. And then it's a lot harder on the teacher to be able to modify their lessons to account for that. Or then you have students that are getting completely different assignments than everyone else. Yeah. And you're trying to keep up with it all. Yeah. And you're kind of like, you know, or you have it where a case manager gives you an assignment that they've done in replacement of it. And you're like, but what what is this for? And you're trying yeah. to work it out and do this whole like cross yeah. thing with your grade book and yeah. be like, this makes no sense yeah. to me whatsoever. Right. And I definitely feel like... I know it's a lot, like when, especially when I taught freshmen in high school, just the absolute shock to the system they have of mm. coming, of having six different teachers that all have six different policies with late work, failing, all of this yeah, stuff. right. And they've gone from having one teacher in like, you know, elementary or middle or whatever that has effectively babied them and allowed them to just get through and pass and don't worry we've got this and you know they're their main teacher that they're like <laughs> tight with and they're like oh thanks because my mum knows your number you got their cell phone yeah. number um to suddenly they have all these different teachers all with all these different policies right. and they've got all these classes that they have to keep up with and then they're suddenly failing and it's not like before where it's like oh you're failing but don't worry we're gonna get you through honey we're gonna get you through um so suddenly they're failing six classes right. all at once Right. And they're like corrupt, and they're yeah. like, "What am I doing with my life?" Right. Like, and yeah, I definitely noticed um, just seeing that kind of like emotional re realization, and like the amount of students that shut down because of that. Yeah. That, and it's that thing where it's like, especially in high school comes back to if it's not a grade in the grade book, students aren't motivated to do it because they're like, what am I doing this for? And you're right. like, well, you need that. You need to practice to be able to understand the yeah. concept. I can't. Why would I grade you on something that you've not even done yet? But then if you don't grade it, they don't do it. They don't practice it. Right. And then it's, so it's a whole thing of just yeah. the way that grades are calculated well, in the US as a whole yeah. leads into that. And that's kind of, I don't. I don't know if this is kind of universally everywhere, but in where where I'm at in New Hampshire, they're kind of switching the way that grades are done into competencies. Mm -hmm. So you're graded on a scale of one to four. Mm -hmm. um, four being that you are excelling, you understand. Three being like you're beyond, ex you know, you're beyond understanding. And then two is passing. And one is we need a little bit more time to go over this concept with you. Mm -hmm. And now it's going out to parents and, and to have parents and students try to rewire their brains that a two is good. Yeah. A two is passing and that's okay. Like that's good. Yeah. Yay. You're, you're, you're on track, but like everyone wants like the three and four, like, well, why did they have a four? Like just yeah. get, give them time. I, it's the grading system. I don't know that there is one good way to do it. Um, I don't know that this is the solution, but I think this kind of helps with that idea yeah. of failing. Like, yes, you might be failing in this aspect, but look at your understanding over here and, you know, maybe build confidence that way. And but. that's that's what I think works better, like how they do it in England, mm -hmm. is the fact that you have these assessments that are spread out where you practice it, you do the assessment, you get graded on it, and you can clearly see a clear trajectory of does this student understand these concepts yeah, or do right. they not? And the natural consequence of if there's a student in a class that's constantly not getting it, especially in like high school, is they then get move down a set or if mm. they're really excelling in their class to get moved up a set and each set class is modified 
for that, that set. Right. And it's not to say, oh, you're in set four. Like, you don't... Un- it's saying you are literally with people of equal ability to you and we are going to tr- make sure that you succeed in the ability that we know you are capable of doing. Yeah. Instead of saying, Amazing. you're on a second grade reading level, I'm putting you in a ninth grade reading right. class and good luck, you need to right. do it. Because it doesn't work. Like, and it's all about, like, you need to look at the subject and what you're getting from it and what you need. Right. And what you need from an ELA classroom in reality is you need to be able to read basic directions and be able to understand them. So if you go into a job and they're like, oh, here's a contract you need to sign for the job, you need to be able to read that and sign your own name. Right. You don't necessarily need to analyze the contract and do a presentation <laughs> on it. It's like you need the fundamental right. skills. So right. it's like just putting them it's in. It's just like normal social skills that we're practicing in those classes, but. Yeah, you know, and I feel like that's getting what stuck gets lost. In the, yeah, getting stuck in the So moment. yeah, I definitely feel like you need to let your students fail, but I also feel like the system itself is what's failing the students. Yeah. And I think that's why so many students are just burnt out and are just like, because effectively the US, my opinion is the US curriculum, especially in the ELA curriculum, is a busy work checklist of yeah. do all this crap and I'll give you this grade. Right. And I think students are more and more aware of that and they're starting to see like how it's mundane and they think, yep. why am I doing all this just to get a number in a grade right. book? Do I care? Right. And in all honesty, I don't blame them. Like it's Absolutely understandable. No. Yeah. I think failure is very important to learn and to feel and to work through. Um, but I think you're right. I think we should be teaching in a system that lets students fail but also supports them in in coming back from that failure yeah and has it where it's like you know you failed at this thing but how can we do this and if you have x amount of students failing every single subject why is that on the teacher why is that not the school looking at and being like why do these students not understand this test Mm -hmm. what is it about what we're doing but instead it's always the teacher's scapegoat why can't you do more and nine times out of ten the parents or guardians are also on that yeah well it must be the teacher it's not my child right it's like "Mm," or maybe it's the system and we're battling the wrong people yeah (laughs) right right and this this i think this kind of like sums up everything like teachers don't want their students to fail and we're we're here trying to prevent that every single day so just remember we're all on the same team woo sports (laughs) (laughs) which brings us on to the next section of the podcast british versus american schools This is the part of the podcast where we compare the British education system <laughs> with the US education system, if you can call it that. Hey. <laughs> so, today's topic is discipline in British versus American schools. Should we just cut this one short? um... (laughs) What is your experience of discipline in American schools? And do you think discipline in American schools works? I taught in a school that did not have a lot of discipline issues. There were a few, but there were not a lot of discipline issues. And it was mostly on the teachers Mm -hmm. to figure out and work in their classroom. Um, And a lot of times these children who had discipline issues um, were on a 504 or an IEP, were supposed to have supports. And that was not up to the overcrowded guidance counselor 
or like or the, their case manager because they're helping you know 50 mm-hmm. other students it was to me in my classroom so i don't know that i got a lot of support when it came to discipline issues um when when it when a student needed to be needed to be taken out of the classroom i could maybe get that to happen but a lot of times it was like mm, just let them figure it out yeah and so i i'm coming i'm speaking from an experience that i again I, i'm not dealing with extreme discipline issues like a lot of other people are dealing with yeah i had like some emotional kids but it was never like physical i never was hit or attacked but i know again like a lot of teachers are and they're not being taken care of at all it's just you're doing a good job do you do you want a snack (laughs) and I, I don't think kids because it's it's uh it's a privilege to be out of school. Like yes. if you if you say okay like you're not welcome back into school. Oh, cool. I get the day off. Yeah. Or you're not welcome back into the classroom for a couple of days. You have an ISS. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I just sit in a room by myself. <laughs> I also think there are just certain things of like discipline in the US that to me I'm just like, uh? um like I remember there was this whole thing um, about, like, students that were, like, you know, bringing, like, items into school that they shouldn't have, mm-hmm. which I think we can, like, read between the lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, you know, selling stuff to other students at school. And, you know, they were, like, the ringleader of the whole thing, like, with all these, like, you know, contraband items that should not be at school and are not legal. Um, and, you know, it got to it where it all got found out. There's footage on camera of them actively selling oh, all of no. this, like, a freshman. Oh and no! My natural instinct is you need to get that kid out of this school right now because yeah. that is not acceptable. That is a zero tolerance. That is breaking the yeah. law. It's endangering all these students because you don't even know what they're selling. Right. And um, it was very much like, yeah, we're gonna have um, a little mini like trial where you know they plead their case, and I'm just like a trial, like no. where like basically it's like the parents, no. like admin, like some teachers come, like. And it's this whole, and I'm just like, w- w- but they did this. There's footage of it. It's very clear they did this. And I'm like, well, we need to hear the student like explain, no. explain what they did. It's like, no explanation needed. And you're like, okay, but at the same time, like an action, and a consequence. And I, yeah, I feel like that's very much something that I noticed a lot with the US education way of discipline was mm. a student could literally do the most vile thing. An absolutely unspeakable thing, absolutely disrespect you, undermine you in every single way. And you can report it and be like, I am not comfortable. As a teacher, I do not want this student in my class at this point because they've done this. I don't feel safe. The students don't feel safe. And it will fall on deaf ears. Like nothing will be done about it. They'll be like, okay, we're going to put them in ISS for a day, maybe out of school suspension. And then they'll be back in your class on Monday. And you're like, this student has literally cussed me out, Mm -hmm. told me that I'm a waste of space, has thrown crap at me, like, you know, thrown stuff at the other students, like whatever, made my classroom unsafe. Mm-hmm. And you expect me on Monday to just carry on as if nothing's happened. Right. And then you wonder why on Tuesday That's... they're doing the exact same uh-huh. thing. Uh-huh. And it's like, I notice that time and time again that it's very much in a way where 
And I think it comes down to that whole thing of like schools in the US are so much under the pressure of the board, of volunteers, of like parents and guardians within the district. And, you know, it's always the person like you know the student that gets away with anything oh suddenly has like a connection with a board member or suddenly like with admin or something right and i think that plays such a large role in the discipline that is here. yeah and i don't know why holding someone accountable for their actions or having consequences for those negative actions became controversial or something that we fight about that's your child did something wrong. There are consequences. If your child went out and robbed a store, guess what? There would be consequences for that. Just like in school. Like, school isn't the wild, wild west. Yeah. there That should be the place where there are absolute consequences. If you do this, then there's this. And it's like we're seeing all the time, you know, you see like all these news reports about all of these things going on in schools, all of these dangerous acts, all of these like unspeakable things. Yeah. And so many times you hear teachers saying in statements, I went to admin. I, yeah. I literally flagged right. this up time and time again. I got ignored several times to the point where literally like they're looking through it and it's the same thing, just brushing it under the yeah. rug. Oh, well, we didn't know. How did you not know? You got five warning signs before and now you've got this mass thing where if you would have just acted and done something, you could have avoided this. Yep. And I just think you see that time and time again. I think it's just so frustrating. And I think it bleeds into that thing of there is no expectation. And I think it comes down to the fact that in the US, the way teachers are viewed as a society Mm. is that they are undermined. If a teacher comes and says, I'm worried about these students, I'm worried about the safety of my classroom, it comes back to, oh, they're irrational. They just, they just can't handle their classroom. That's what this yeah. is. It's an irrational teacher that's complaining about their job. Yeah. But that's your job and that's your passion. And it's this kind of like bias towards teachers. Of Everyone's had a teacher that in some point in their life they didn't like, they didn't get on well with, and they apply that trauma to every single teacher right. within society. And I find that such a shame. And it goes with that thing of like when you're in a high school, you have six different teachers for one student. Each of those six different teachers has different rules, different expectations. You go from one class, I can't eat in here. Second class, I can eat what I want. Third class, I can turn in late work. Fourth class, I can't. And it's like fifth class, I'm allowed to phone. Sixth class, I'm not. And every single class has a different rule. And then you have students that are battling you saying, oh, well, why am I allowed to do this in your ELA class? Because I'm allowed to do it in my math class because that teacher's chill and you're like stuck up. Right. And I think that's what goes into it versus in England, it is, this is the school, these are our policies. There is no, this is one policy for English and not for maths. It's, this is the school. When you come to this school, these are the expectations, deal with it. And as a teacher, you can't say, oh, I don't like that one rule because they're like, you have a job here. This is your job. Yeah. You need to do it. Right. And it comes with that thing of like, I understand having freedom in when you teach, but I think things like expectations should be black and white by Absolutely. the book. This is a school. This is what we stand for. Yeah. You don't follow the guidelines, get out. Right. And I think in England, that is through and through. It's strict in places and it's stern, but it works a lot more. And that's yeah. not to say there aren't behavioral issues because there are. Right. But it's in a way that as a teacher, if you are flagging up those issues and you're doing what you need to do, you will be supported through and through because they're like, right, here's the expectation. As a teacher, have you done X, Y, Z? Yep, you have. They haven't followed it. Okay, they're out of your class for X right. amount of time. Right. And if there's a constant thing, that's when they're like, is this school right for you? You need to move to another school. Yeah. And I think that's the question that we should be asking in American schools. Like, is this school, is this place right for you? 
you? Yeah. Are you succeeding here? And instead, Cause... it's that whole thing of if you're kicked out of a school, that's when you then have parents, guardians in the US that are like, oh, so you're targeting my student. It's, yeah. it's not that they've done this wrong, that wrong. It's that you're targeting them. And, you know, even though they threw a chair at this kid, th they said that you called them out for their behavior three days before. So because of that, you're targeting my child. And it's like, but your child was doing things wrong right. and not going with the policies. Right. right. Um, and I think that's what I know. It's a lot. There's a lot of like excuses that go on. I think, yeah, I think consistency is, is kind of the thread that runs through all of this yeah. is in when disciplining like i have a two-year-old son who mm -hmm. is two and one of the hardest things to do is to be consistent all at all times like if this is what i said was going to happen if you did this if you threw mm -hmm. throw your food then and i said please don't do that again you are going to go sit in timeout and if he throws it again, guess what? Like, I have to put him in timeout. I can't be like, yeah. don't do it again and, like, pick up his mess for him. No, like, it, we have to be so consistent with yeah. these kids and treat them like two-year-olds. <laughs> and this is where I think it also bleeds into, like, the culture of, like, work-life balance and how, yeah. like, the U.S. doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. And there are so many parents that are just burnt out yeah. trying to make ends meet, pay their bills and just keep a roof over their child's right. head that they don't have the time and resources available to actively be there as a parent. Yeah. And they feel like they're struggling, they're family. Yeah. And I feel like that's where a lot of that conflict comes from. It's the defense of, okay, but I'm trying my best and you're telling me I'm not right. doing enough. And now you're telling me my student's going to be like kicked out, that my student's going to be a failure, yeah. all of this. And I understand where that comes from as well. And because I they're feel taking that on thinking like, just like when yeah. you let students fail, it's kind of like a, a mirror of us when your child is mm -hmm. failing or misbehaves, like that's a reflection on you too. And yeah, yeah. I, there's a lot of pressure to make sure that that doesn't happen. And I think that's why there's a lot of fight from parents because yeah it's even things like in england like where you get like five to five and a half weeks vacation mm -hmm. time a year so many parents i know do it where they're like right let me be strategic i'm going to take a week off here when the kids are off school here there and there yeah and then because they're like have clear these are my working hours and i don't take my work home with me which is more of a thing in the u.s where it's like you know you need to work to get ahead <laughs> and if you work and you try real hard you never know you might might be able to die <laughs> with a pension you never know <laughs> Um, and that's kind of like what I think it is as yeah. well is that mindset of like the US I feel like is very much like a machine mindset where you yeah. need to go out you need to work and you need to be in the system right. and I feel like that system itself is what's bleeding into yeah. like the students as well agreed agreed alright so America is not <laughs> the winner <laughs> alright let's uh, choo choo our way to the next to the next segment here uh, hot or not this is where we take two things. We say if they are hot or not in the world of education. Our first topic for today is students who call each other out for their behavior. I love it. What, what are oh, you saying? It is, it is <laughs> Hot, hot, hot. It is stunning. Oh, man. That is the fastest way to become the favorite student of the day. Star student. Gold stars all over. Yeah. I I love a student who recognizes the reality. And oftentimes, it's triggered by my face mm -hmm. at a certain point 
where you're just done and I, you I, are exhausted. <laughs> I think the only time I do not like it is when it is the student that is being the most disruptive that does it. And it's like, you know, when you've, when oh, you've that, spoken yeah. to the one student mm -hmm. that always, you know, comes in, makes a show. Oh, I'm, I'm randomly having to like trip over my desk. Oh, I finally sat down. Oh, I need to go get a drink from the war fan <laughs> on the other side of the class. Oh, now I need to subtly go to my friend's desk and pick up a pack of gum. Oh, now I need to like, you know, look out the window and observe that. Oh, did you know there's a car in the car park? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> Sit down. Um, and then like, you know, you finally settle them down. And then they're the ones being like, oh, why is everyone being so annoying today? And I'm like, it's you. You are the <laughs> one that's being annoying You're today. the problem. <laughs> You're the problem. I, I, I'm, and I'm not talking about the kids who are like, guys, she's waiting for us. Like, yeah. and then it just screams to get everyone to shut up. No, th those are not the people that I'm talking about. My, mine's when you have a student that's like back talking you and you're like, can you please just sit in your chair? Why should I sit in my chair? Why should I sit in my chair? And then you have someone literally turn around and be like, can you just sit down? You're yes, so annoying. I love that. <laughs> I love that. When there's obviously a little power struggle going on and that one student turns around and is just like, sit down. My favorite was when I had a student absolutely rip butt. Like you, you like heard that far, like three classrooms down. It like, it like registered Sonic on the, boom. it was a six on the Richter scale. And literally like a student like just turned around, like this student's like laughing after doing it. I'm just like, oh my God, I can't with freshmen. And um, this student like literally turned around and was like, why are you laughing? Like, what are you? Like, 12? Can you please, like, remove yourself? Like, that is disgusting. I'm literally going to vomit any moment now. And I was like, mm, same. <laughs> so hot, hot, hot. We love a student who calls out their classmates when it's needed. Unless it's you. <laughs> then call yourself out. Yeah. Check yourself. <laughs> All right. Our next topic is students who finish tests within minutes of getting it. This is the epitome of like <laughs> me questioning why I do what I do in the classroom sometimes. <laughs> like when I spent weeks teaching something and then we get to that test, hand it out and like, make sure guys that you are trying your best, please. And then I have that one kid come up. I'm done, what can I do now? What? What? Mm -hmm. Have I not spent weeks of my life teaching you so that you can use the test that I spent hours on as a coloring sheet? It's always when you're literally, you've, you've settled the class. You're like, this is the assessment. You're like, you are going to take at least 30 minutes. And you're literally like on the cusp of sitting down at your desk. Yes! About to plan the next lesson, grade something, you know, do something on your to-do list. That you don't take the work home of you or have to work past your contract hours. The moment you sit down and take a small sigh of relief, yep. boom, up pots, a little meerkat, yep. done. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, how? I literally and just, just like glancing at the test, you're like... Nope, nope, this is not. My biggest issue with this is like, I was ELA, so yeah. I would look at the test and I admit there are times where I'm like, this test is ridiculous, I don't blame them. Where literally they would have like 
five paragraphs yes. of, of like reading for one multiple choice question and I would be like oh yeah no. I would be like you literally have to read how much to answer one question and that one question is on the first sentence and and you wonder why they're they're like looking at this four paragraph being like that's worth five points right I would rather take a zero on that one five-point question right. than read four paragraphs. Right. And it's kind of like I understand the logic because you'd rather not. Um, and half the time, like, all of these excerpts and everything were from things we'd never read before. Yeah. Or that, yet yeah, you're trying to basically teach the excerpts in advance because yeah. you're teaching a test and right. not an actual skill, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, you would literally be like, how have you read five paragraphs in five seconds, when you couldn't even read your own name yesterday. <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> Jesus is alive. It's a miracle. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think, you know what bothers me about that? And you touched on it with the just sitting down. A test day is very sacred. Like, that is the one time where I have done all of the planning and I, because of all of that planning, I get to have 30 minutes of you working hard, showing me that you understood what we were talking about. And I get to have 30 minutes of silence mm -hmm. to do something like email someone back or maybe just breathe for a second, <laughs> quiet. Yeah. And then that little person pops up and goes, done what can i do now how about you go back and try again because yeah. that's a not take yeah, your time it's a no. and then it's, it becomes an even not when they then stand at your desk and want you to grade the very test they've just done in five seconds while everyone's still doing the test if i had a student ask me to do that i would have put a big x on it big red x be like <laughs> go try again because mommy will not be happy about this. Yeah, nah. you can do that. Yeah, they don't care about mommy and daddy when no. they're <laughs> 15. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <sighs> Which brings us to our next section, grind our gears. Is it grind our gears or grind the gears? It's grinding something, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Grind Our Gears is the section where for 30 seconds we get a rant about something. It could be anything that grinds our gears. Grind Our Gears just means we don't like it. Just in <laughs> case you were confused. All right, Vinny, your topic today is spam callers the fact that in this country it is okay to apply for a credit or a mortgage and then suddenly your information goes out to all these companies and they call you i have had over 250 missed calls over the past four days because they have decided to say oh he's got good credit ring him up i'm getting text messages saying hey bro would love to represent you i can get you a lower rate for your mortgage take my number off your phone i don't want to hear from you my father-in-law is my mortgage broker can you give me a better rate than that bro <laughs> Bruh. Should be illegal. Bruh. Should be illegal. I don't know how it's possible. I don't know either. And half the time they don't even speak. It's just silence. And I'm like, are you trying to take my voice so that you can like spam me or like... Oh, maybe. I've got a few TikToks you can do that instead. <laughs> Send me the... Just give me a follow. Okay, this brings us to Jess. Jess, your grind the gears today is that awkward sprint you have to make when someone opens a door for you. 
If I am more than 20 feet behind you, do not open the door. I am perfectly capable of opening the door myself. I have arms and I can pull it open. Okay. Do it. Does it look like I do a lot of cardio? No, I'm not. I'm not going to speed and sprint my way to you to make your life a little bit more comfortable when I can just use my upper body strength. I'm not doing cardio. Don't make me do cardio because you want to be nice. Thank you, but no thank you. I prefer an electronic door anyway. Just open. <laughs> You get that, like, that Beyonce fan when you walk into. The worst is when you're in one of those spinny things. And it's one of those ones that's not automatic and someone's pushing it and someone's literally pushing it at high (laughs) speed and you're like, I'm going to fall over. (laughs) And there's always a random child just in it on their own. I always, like, those doors, the the spinny ones, like, I feel like you have to time it right. Like, I feel like I'm a third grader trying to jump rope again. I can't get the timing right. I feel like I'm in Hannah Montana the movie. Oh. Changing from Hannah to Miley. (laughs) Seeing the love of my life, realizes who Get I am. the best <laughs> of both worlds. Okay, now we're going to celebrate and recognize those underdogs of education. Today we are recognizing and celebrating case managers. All right, your wife works in special ed. Yeah, so my is wife's she, a speech is she path. A case? Oh, she's speech so, path. So, yeah, That's she right. is also... Sorry, Ashley, I knew that. She's a speech path, speech therapist, speech pathology, speech mm-hmm. pathologist. Yes. I don't know science. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying about talking, I don't know. <laughs> Just speech. Um, so, yeah, I think she does act as the case manager. I get very confused with... Um, <laughs> Because I know sometimes you can have it where you can need speech, but the speech um, pathologist isn't necessarily your case manager and you have a separate case manager, but then the speech pathologist also works with their case manager. And then other times the speech pathologist is the case manager. So it's... I get confused. <laughs> yeah. So I think if you are speech only and that is the only service you need, then the speech pathologist is your case manager because that's the only service you need to meet and like uphold the IEP yeah. for. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I've... She like just had like her meeting week, so it's like I, oh. I like as a student, like as a teacher, you have it where you're like, oh my gosh, I've got a million and one IEPs this week. Um, but I think seeing it from the other scope of the absolutely case manager- because the case managers have to write the IEPs, mm-hmm. which is a legal document. Yeah, it is very important, and those everything has to be perfect on that document to get the child the the supports that they need. And then they have to go into uh, two million and one meetings because they have to do all of them. It is, it's so much. And what they do to support their, the kids that are on their caseload, it's, it's a lot to, it's a lot to handle. And as a, as a general ed teacher, I don't know that I, could do my job to support those students without having the support from the case manager too. It's like what they do every day is astounding. And and I've seen it firsthand. It's like, as a teacher where you have it, where you're like, oh my gosh, we're two weeks from the end of the semester and someone's failing and I need to get them to all this. Yeah. 
a case manager, especially like with more what my wife does, she's like, right, they have goals that they need to fulfill by this time, by this meeting. Yeah. I need to be able to track, have they moved from this goal to this goal? Yeah. Do I need to change the goal? Have they succeeded? Have I even worked on the goal enough? Yeah. All of this because it is a legal document where they have to mm-hmm. uphold certain amount of things. Mm-hmm. And then you have it where you're like, well, this student's absent and they've missed their minutes for that week. Yeah. And then they still haven't done their goal <laughs> and I need to track them. And it's not like in a regular classroom where it's like, oh, I can just give them extra credit or this. It's like, no, they need to work on this very specific yeah. social skill yeah. and I've not been able to do it and now I'm chasing them down trying to assess I'm chasing the teachers down asking yeah. for clarification and I have to track this in the data in this legal document that if I don't uphold <gasps> I can be sued it's stressing me out <laughs> it's stressing me out and I think like I, I wasn't aware of this like before my yeah. wife was a speech pathologist I worked with case managers and I was just like I would have it where I'd be like, what's the case manager doing right, right. now? And now it's like I see it from the other lens and I'm like, there is so much work that goes yeah. on behind the scenes yeah. where you look at it and you're like, oh, well, they're not sat with their student right now. So like, what are they right. doing in their office? Right. And it's like in their office, they're literally breaking down, trying to do all of this paperwork, all of this proof that they've fulfilled all of these legal requirements yeah. on top of chasing down parents, yeah. scheduling meetings, chasing down teachers for information, yeah. like... And chasing down students that have missed minutes, making up minutes, all of this. It's there like again, I think like this kind of goes like there's two sides to this coin. Like there are really good case managers and there are some that are not fulfilling what they should be doing. And I've worked with both. But like I the the case managers who are doing what they're supposed to be doing, like that's hard. It is a hard job. It's such an easy thing to be like, oh, I'll like let this go. Like I won't make up those minutes. I'll just fudge it in the report. Like, yeah. But those people that are staying on top because they want to see their students successful. Stunning. I'm like, you need a lot of dedication. (laughs) You do. You do. And it is not for me. So thank you. Case managers for doing what you do every single day. Thank you so much for joining us on the Havas Future Express today. Please make sure that you are following us on all social medias, uh, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, um, yeah, wherever else you people are in the metaverse. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening or watching. Have a lovely day and we'll see you later. Have a lovely day. I love that.